0: this is open to hope radio featuring dr gloria horsley and her daughter dr heidi horsley coming to you on behalf of the open to hope foundation dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss now here's dr gloria
1: Welcome to Grief Relief. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host.
2: Dr. Heidi Horsley.
1: Well, Heidi, we've got a good friend of ours on the show today, and uh, he was actually on our television show that you can get on YouTube and on our website. And uh, he was on, I think, with the uh, Grief Haven. Uh, Susan Whitmore was on, and we did a show with him, and Michael J. Davis closed the show with us for with his music. Wonderful. So Heidi, do you want to introduce Michael for us?
2: Sure, I'd love to. Um, Like you said, Mom, we are going to interview Michael J. Davis today, who is a singer-songwriter, among other things, and he will be talking today about the rituals for healing after the death of a parent. Michael has been a student of the healing arts for over 40 years. In his book, Rituals, Light for the Soul, he talks about how to make everyday acts into rituals that focus the mind, heal the heart, and free the energies of the body. He is a musician author and an occasional public speaker and he lives with his wife in the mountains above Santa Barbara
3: welcome to the show Michael oh good morning thank you thanks for having me
1: so great to have you on the show you know I was telling you before the show started that um, our number one search on our website is death of a parent and it's adult adult people it's not little kids you know talking about the death of their parent. It's adults Looking for information about dealing with a loss of a parent, I sometimes think that we minimize uh, the death of a parent, particularly if it's an older parent. But uh, they're really an important part of our life. And I know you were saying that your dad died what six years ago, and that it was a a big loss for you. Five years ago. Five yeah. Five years ago.
3: It was a. It was a, It was more than I expected. To be honest, I. I was. Uh, my parents live uh, or lived in Tennessee. And I haven't really lived with them for many, many years. So the times that I had with them were on vacations or at holidays or whatever. But the time that my dad died, um, my mom was in the hospital for some operation that she had. And my dad was sitting next to her. He was 92 years old. He was sitting next to her. I still get emotional when I think about it. Sitting next to her in the hospital room, kind of doing a vigil for her and he got while he was in there he got what we later found out was pneumonia and uh he was pretty frail at that time but I was kind of like the one that was pushing him around in a wheelchair whenever there was time for eating or anything else and you know the night that he died I brought him back to his room because he did have a room there next to the hospital. I said goodnight to him. I left, and when I came back the next morning, I found out that he had died overnight, and I have to say that, you know, first of all, the shock of of seeing him, someone that I had known for, you know, all my life um, there, was... Unbelievable! I just, I, 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 when the, when the, police and the coroners came and everything, they, they kind of, almost had to keep me, you know, from jumping over the railing. Is how strongly I felt it because I felt like I had let him down. I guess that was the big emotion that I had at the moment. Was I didn't do enough to keep him alive, even though it was clear to me and everyone else in my family that. It was not going to be possible for him to take care of my mother after her surgery. And and in, in some ways, they said they felt like he decided that that was the time for him to leave. Um, but it didn't relieve me of the, the feeling of, of, of just the deep sense of guilt that I felt for not having been there, not doing enough to keep him alive. So, yeah, it was a devastating moment for me. And it's continued to be, I think, something that, you know, for months after that, um, the shock of it would come back, I would, the the visual of it would come back at inopportune times. You know, I'd be laying in bed at night or I'd be watching a movie or driving the car and all of a sudden the imagery would come back in of seeing him, you know, in that state. And it it was uh, it, it was really a difficult time for me, and also it really brought something deep inside of me uh, a desire to find a way to heal that because I just didn't want to go the rest of my life having those images, you know, coming in at in opportune times. So, yeah, it was really very difficult.
1: And we're going to want to talk about what you, how you find to heal that. But first I want to say, um, Heidi, don't don't you think that we do minimize these older people dying?
2: Absolutely. And, and Michael does such a good job really bringing home the point of how devastating these kind of losses are. I mean, you Michael lived with his dad his whole life. He didn't even know his—you didn't even know your life without your father in it. So That's I can right. understand— why this is so impactful. And also, I think it's really normal for everyone out there when they hear that after someone we love has died, we often should have, could have, would have, and we're armchair quarterbacks or whatever they call them, and we want to believe that we could have done something different to keep people alive when the reality is that oftentimes there's nothing that could have been done. Yes but it is
1: normal to have yes. this kind of thought. And also, um, maybe there's something more that could be done, but people also decide not to do it at, at certain ages. So, you know, there's something connected with that too. When do we finally, you know, people make decisions to do what they do, and 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 we can't convince them to do differently. I know that happened with my sister. People wanted her to get more treatment in her 80s, and she didn't want to do it. So, So there are a lot of, you know, a lot of things that go around with this, but I do want people to know that we do understand that having older parents die is, is huge. It's huge. So, Michael, I wanted to get to how did you, what did you do? Because I know you have a history of meditation and and are really in touch with yourself. And I, I assume at that time, you were pretty much a person in touch with yourself. Uh,
3: yeah. I, I, in fact, I guess uh, I would say that uh, up until that time, I would have Definitely define myself as being somebody that did a lot of work on myself, but I had not had the experience of someone close to me dying my whole life. I hadn't, so this was like something that came out of the out of left field, and it was a shock. It was a shock to the system, and I realized. And I, you know, your question about how did I get through it? I think that the the work that I had done before with meditation and particularly breathing. You know, for me, breathing as a meditation is a way to kind of bring your emotions into balance somewhat. And it really didn't come right at first. So I can't really say that all I did was breathe and then it was, you know, okay. But I did try my best to go into the experience, the death of a person that I loved, the experience of seeing him, the whole pain of it, to go into that as a ritual for healing. You know, for me, uh, the difference between a ritual, say, and a habit is that a ritual has awareness and conscious thought and sacredness, usually, attributed to it, whereas a habit, you can do it without thinking about it. So when you take something like breathing for example and that's something that we do unconsciously all the time even when we're asleep but when you bring your attention your full as best you can your full attention into the breath itself and really slow the breath down and really breathe as deeply and easily as you can on the inhalation and on the exhalation and then bring, if there is an emotion or a thought or an image, in my case, you bring it into the breath and you continue to breathe into that. It's kind of, I've heard it said in other disciplines, that you enter into the mouth of the dragon, you enter into the last place you really want to go, Mm -hmm. which is that horrible experience. But if you can do it, and I don't know that I would recommend that people do it right away. But I think over time, you have to kind of confront it a little bit at a time and then go into it and see if you can be with it fully. Embrace it as best you can fully. And in my case, it began to loosen up around the edges. I began to see things that I couldn't see when all I was able to do was be in the shock of the experience Um, I was able to see, for example, around the edges, kind of a sense of perfection in the fact that we all have our birth, we all have our life, and we all have our death. And then in my father's case, he lived a really, he was such a good human being. He lived a really good life. And when I went and I did the memorial service for him, uh, at his little church there in this little town in Tennessee, I asked anyone in the audience that wanted to say something about him to stand up and and share it and It just went on and on and on all the people he was a He was a teacher at the high school, and all the kids that got up and, and said, "Oh my God, this man changed my life and I think you know when you when you see the beauty shining through the pain, then you start to feel the healing is possible.
1: So, Michael, I wanted to talk to you about another ritual that you and I were talking about earlier, and that's walking.
3: I, you know, first of all, every, you know, when I wrote this book, Rituals, Light for the Soul, I was looking for rituals that you could do on a daily basis on a, uh, you know, without having to create, you know, a lot of, uh, of, of, Props or anything that you didn't have at hand I was looking for things you could do right now And one of the very first things that came to my mind was walking Because I've been doing it pretty much all my life And I live, as you said, up in the mountains in Santa Barbara So I walk three, at least three to four miles a day And I walk in places where there are not a lot of people Not a lot of cars Because I like the solitude of it and so when i walk you know it's not because i'm walking for distance i'm not walking for time i'm walking for the presence of the moment and just experiencing it as best i can so walking for me as a meditation or as a ritual for healing is first of all you're you're moving you're you're moving in a way that you have uh kind of a cadence to your walk. That's what I've discovered over, you know, many years of walking, is that there's a certain cadence and a certain... When I I find that rhythm, my body eventually... It may take several minutes, but my body disappears. And I don't experience that I'm a person in a body walking on a road. I just experience this maybe more... The environment that I'm in, the birds, the sun, you know, the movement, the newness. I'm looking for what's new, what I haven't seen already. I'm always looking to be surprised. And so for me, walking, and I always am. I mean, I walk some of the same paths over 100 times, and I always see something new.
1: I was just going to say, Heidi, what comes up for me is gratitude. Do you get gratitude in his voice about this?
2: and seeing new things and recognizing new things and being grateful for new things all the time.
1: Yeah, because we found, how many minutes is it, Heidi, you can do gratitude and, and it changes your brainwaves? Six minutes a day, but you say you could do it. Less.
2: I think it happens very, very rapidly and quickly. I think you can do it within just a minute or two or less. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I live in the middle of New York City and, and very chaotic, about as crowded as it can get. And I live just a couple blocks from Central Park, and right now my office is half a block from Central Park. And I walk almost every day in Central Park, and it really changes the way that I feel and gets me, you know, into nature and into myself and into my head and out of the chaos of the city and keeps me grounded.
3: I love the idea of walking and doing these meditations. I was just going to say it's something that as long as you... I'm 64 years old now. So, I've been walking for years and I plan on walking for many more years. I'd like to be able to to walk up the hill when I'm 70 and maybe 80. And I think that that also is part of the gratitude that you're talking about, Dr. Heidi, that there is a sense of of appreciation for being alive, you know. And, you know, you just kind of Relax with that sense of buoyancy that comes in when you really accept that you are who you are. You've been given the genetic cards that you've been dealt. And you may never be, you know, a movie star, but you can be who you are and you can have what you have. And the more that you can be grateful for what you already have and not wait for something to change in order to be happy later on, Man, that is uh, if there is a secret to life, that's got to be in there somewhere.
1: and when you've when you've just had a loss, maybe, all you can be grateful for is that the sun came up this morning or that I can open my eyes or I can get my foot out of bed or maybe I can match my socks finally. Uh, Who knows? Well, I I wanted to have (laughs) one one other thing, which uh, is creating a space, a sacred space. I think this walking and breathing do create a space. But how about a special place in your house or something?
3: I think that, uh, you know, I've always had a, a sacred space in my house. I call it my studio, and right now I'm standing in my studio, and it has a big window that looks out over the ocean in Santa Barbara, and it has all of my equipment. You know, I write and sing, as you know, and I record uh, my thoughts, and this is a room that I can go into any time I want and feel a sense of the sacred, feel a sense of of. You know, whatever I create in this room, I want it to be of the highest quality. And I really believe that we all need a place like that in in our, you know, living space. I know that a lot of people have kids or have noise or dogs or whatever, but if you can just create just a, maybe it's on top of your dresser, you put something up there that's meaningful for you. Maybe it's a photograph or a picture or a painting. Maybe it's new flowers, cut flowers every day. But something that reminds you of life, that life continues, that life is sacred and special and, you know, worth living. So I really, uh, I, I really recommend that anyone, particularly anyone that's suffering from a loss, that they find something. Maybe it's the picture of the one that they've, they've been missing, or something that really reminds them of this sense of of, of privilege for for our life, you know, for life itself. Um, very important.
1: Heidi, did you have a comment on that?
2: I love that idea. I'm just thinking that sometimes people set up shrines or places they can go and remember that person. And, and also, of course, I was visualizing all the stuff in my own head, like I've got The New York Jets bear that you gave me, Mom, that was Scott's um, (laughs) sweater that was made into a teddy bear. I'm thinking of all the things that connect me in so many ways to my brother and and the continuing bonds I continue to have with him, even though he's been gone for 30 years.
1: Well, Michael, uh, I wanted to finish up talking a little bit about your music and how that moves you and tell people how to get to your website so they can hear your music and see some of the things you've written.
3: Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Dr. Gloria, you're having me on your TV show where I actually sang three songs in three different episodes of your show was a really big boost for me because I used to perform 30 years ago and I wrote a lot of music back in that time and then I kind of moved into other areas. I did a lot of work uh, in public, in conducting public seminars and I would sing from time to time but it wasn't really a, a main focus. But your TV show kind of brought it back in, and I started, you know, getting in my studio and and, and, and really practicing and, and recording some of these songs that I've kind of been working on, and I have to say that the, the, the process, the creative process for me, is the key to my fulfillment. When I'm creating, I am fulfilled, and when I'm not, when it builds up inside of me, like, I really think, God, I have an idea, but I'm not doing anything about it, that's when I get cranky and, you know, not a great person to be around. But when I'm creating, and music for me is the most, I just, I I don't even know how to explain it. Although whenever anybody, any of my friends or family are around, I always try and play something that I'm writing because I get such joy out of it. But the process itself of sitting down like a blank canvas and going noodling just noodling around until something starts to sound good and then putting the words to it for me it's uh it's unlike anything else i know and it is a it is it is my spiritual expression to do that and i always all, all of my songs end up being some kind of uplifting you know message to it because that's what lifts me up so i guess the ritual of music uh is probably my number one form of expression. I just love it. And I appreciate, thank you for inviting me on your show so that you kind of kick me a little bit in gear. <laughs> and uh, where people can get uh, in touch with me or can listen to some of this music is on my website, michaeljdavis.com. M-I-C-H-A-E-L-J-D-A-V-I-S dot com.
1: Uh, thank you, Michael, for being on the show today. You're a real gem.
3: Thank you. I really appreciate you both and the work that you're doing.
2: Thanks, Michael, for all the work you're doing and for your
3: gorgeous music. Thank you.
1: Well, Heidi, uh, I love the rituals, and I am so glad that we've had somebody on who had an older parent die that is able to express themselves as eloquently about that experience as Michael is.
2: He really does, Mom, and I love when Michael talks about the fact that ritual has awareness and conscious thought, and also the idea that when we're feeling, we begin to see the beauty shining through the pain. I like that idea.
1: Well thanks for listening today to Grief Relief, and uh, look for us on our website at opentohope.com. God bless.
0: You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Doctors Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, Others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.